The day time stopped moving by Pregna Buccaneer. Dave Miller would, would never have done it. Had never had he been in his right mind, the Millers were not a medically stock. Hardly the sort of people you expect to read about in the morning paper taking their lives the night before. But Dave Miller was drunk abominably, very so. Bowed a big revolver he stood against the sink. Made a ring of coldness against his right temple. Dawn was beginning to strain the frosty kitchen windows. Faint light the letter lay a grey square against a drained broad window tiles. With a medallic gesture, the very drunk, Miller scored across the envelope. This is why I did it. He had found Helen's letter in the envelope. When he staggered into their bedroom fifteen minutes ago, quarter past five, as had frequently happened during the past year, he'd come home from the store a little late, about twelve hours late. In fact, this time Helen had done what he had long threatened to do. She had left him. There was brief, containing a word of heartbreak and broken hopes. I don't mind having to scrimp, Dave. No woman minds that if she feels she's really helping the husband again. I'm hoping a husband of a spot. When the business went bad a year ago, I told you, ready help any way I could, but you haven't let me. You quit fighting when things got difficult. Put it all on your money and energy and liquor. Liquor and houses and cards. I can't stand being married to a drunkard. Dave, not even, but not. I could stand being married to a drunkard, Dave, but not a coward. She said you tried. She said, so she was trying to show him. And Miller told himself, she used show her instead. Coward her, maybe this would teach her a lesson. However, a lot of help she'd been, nagging him every time he took a drink. Hardly a bloody murder. When he went, put twenty-five dollar bucks on a horse, with a chance to make five hundred. What man wouldn't do these things? His drugstore was on skids. Could he be blamed for drinking a little too much if alcohol dissolved the morbid vapours of his mind? Miller stiffened angrily and tightened his finger on the trigger, but he had one moment of frank insight. Just before the hammer dropped and brought the world tumbling about his ears, he brought with it a realisation. The whole thing was his fault. Helen was right. He was a coward, with a potent ache in his heart. He had been as loyal as they came. He knew that. He could have spent his nights thinking up new business tricks instead of spilling big whiskey. Could have gone out of his way to be pleasant to customers, not slap them with a terrific hangover. Even Miller knew nobody ever made any money on horses, at least not what he when he needed it. But horses and whiskey and business have become tragically confused in mind. So he was full of liquor and managed with a gun to his head. Again, anger swept his mind, clean of reason. He knew chin. Reaching up and gripped the gun tight. Ran out of me, will she? He muttered thickly, Well, this shall show her. Next moment the gun at the hammer fell, and Dale Miller had shown her. Miller opened his eyes from a start. A brain, the plane's black and white, he heard a bell ring. Most filling sound in the world. It was an unmistakable tinkle of Christopher. Now, how in the hell? thought began in his mind. Then he saw where he was, the Christopher, was right in front of him. It was open. A marble slab lay Cosmos five spot. Marble glanced, Miller glanced straight up around him. Behind the drug cattle, right? 
There's a man with girls sipping cokes at the fountain. You write in a magazine rack by the open door. Tobacco counter Christopher found in the fountain. Right above for him was a customer. Good Lord, he thought. Was this all a dream? Sweat oozed from all out from his clammy forehead. The stuff of Herman's he had drunk during the game had a drank taste, but he wouldn't couldn't would have thought anything sort of marijuana would produce such hallucinations. He just had moral contractions come boiling up from the bottom of his being. How did he get behind the counter? Who was the woman he was waiting on? What? Well, the curious stare was with just jarring completely into the present. Get rid of her, was his thought, wonderful. Then he sat down behind the scenes and tried to figure it all out. His hand poised over the cashier drawer. He remembered he didn't know how much he was, was to take out of the five. A knowing the woman's glance, he uttered, let me see now. Was uh, How much did I say? Well, made no answer. Miller cleared his throat and said uncertainly, I beg your pardon, did I say 25 cents? It was just a feeling. The woman didn't even answer to that. It was right then that Miss Dr. Miller noticed the deep silence that brooded in the store. Slowly said came out and looked straight in the woman's eyes. She turned him a cool, harsh-winning glance. Her eyes neither blinked nor moved. His features was frozen, her lips partly teeth showing a little. The top of her tongue was between her even white teeth. Though she had started to say this, and stopped with the syllables unspoken, spoken, muscles began to writhe behind Miller's ears. He could feel his hair soft, fiffered like fillings drawn to a magnet. His glance struggled to soda fountain. Well, he saw them, they shook him to the core he'd been. Girl who's sipping a drink of coke had glass to her lips. Apparently she didn't, wasn't sipping the liquor. Her boyfriend's glass was on the counter. He'd drawn out a cigarette and sailed away you smoke. The smoke hung in the air like a large, elegant balloon, the small end disappearing between his lips. The men had stared. The smoke did not stare, stir. Slightest. There's something unholy. Something unnatural about this scene. The apparition rippling down his spine, Dr. Dave Miller reached across the cash register and touched the woman on the cheek. Flesh is warm, but his heart is flint. Tenderly, the young druggist pushed harder. Finally, shoved her with all his might. For all, of, for all the result, the might, well, might have been a bronze statue. She neither budged nor changed expression. Panic seized Miller. His face hit a high, hysterical terror. He called to his soda joker. Pete, Pete, he called, shouted. What in God's name's wrong here? The blonde youngster with a towel made it a glass. Do not stir. Miller rushed back from the back of the store, seized the boy with his shoulders, tried to shake him. But Pete was rooted to the spot. Miller knew now that was wrong. It was something greater than a hallucination or hangover. He was some kind of, he was in some kind of trap. His first thought was to come home, rush home and see Helen was there. With a great sense of relief when he thought of her. Helen had really blue eyes and understanding manner. Would listen to him and know what was the matter. He left the haunted drugstore and ran, down around the corner and up the street to his car. But through, he did not lock the car door. Locked the car. The door resisted his twisting grasp. Shaking, pouring, swearing, Miller wrestled with each of the doors abruptly. He stiffened. A horror of thought 
leapt in his being. His gaze left the car and wandered up the street, past an intersection, past one beyond that, up on through the thoroughfare, to the grey haze of the city, dimmed everything. As far as Bayman could see, there was no trace of motion. Cars had poised the street, some passing over machines, some turning corners. A streetcar stood over the safety zone. A man had leaped in from the bottom step, hung in space a foot above the pavement. Projections pulled with one foot up. A bird hovered over a telephone pole, its wings glued to the blue vault of the sky. The choked sound middle began to run. He did not slacken his pace for fifteen minutes until when Till around him was the familiar reassuring trees and sub-boarded houses, his own street, but yet, but yet how strange to him. The season was autumn, the air filled with brown and golden leaves, they tossed up a frozen wind, well run by two boys lying on lawn, petrified in modern counterparts, sculptors restless, and Swedish train of burning leaves, but a thrill of terror to him, but looking down an alley, from whence his smoke drifted, he saw a man tending to the fire, rose leaping flames with red tongues that did not move. So in relief, the young druggist started up, darted up to his own walk. He tried the front door, found it locked, and jammed the thumb against the doorbell. But of course, the little bell button was immovable as it mounted. He end not to convince himself that a key could not be inserted in the lock. He ran towards the back. The screen door was not latched. It might as well have been still door for bank vault. But they began to pound it, shouting, Helen, Helen, are you in there? God, my God, dear, there's something wrong. You've got to. The silence that flowed in again, but his voice choked off. Dead stillness of tomb. He could hear his voice rustling through the empty rooms. At last came back to him like a taunt. Helen, Helen! The day Miller, the world is now a planet of death, which he alone lived and moved and spoke, daggered and utterly beaten. He made an attempt to break into his home. He did stumble around to the kitchen window, tried to peer in, anxious to see there was a body on the floor. Room was in semi-darkness, however. His straining eyes made out nothing. He turned to the front of the house, scrambling like a sombolis. Seated on the boat, steps, head in hands, he slipped into a hell of regrets. He knew now that his suicide had been no donation. He's dead away. This might be, be hell or perjury. perjury. Billy cursed his drinking and led him such a mad thing as suicide. Suicide, he, Dave Miller, coward had taken his own life. Miller's whole being called with revulsion. He just had the last year to live over again, he thought fervently. Yet, though all, for it all, so many strain kept trying to tell him he was not dead. This was not his own world, all right. It was his own, this was his own world, right. Eventually, unchained, essentially unchained. What happened? It was beyond the pillow of Gaspar. Guess, this one thing began to be clear. This is what, in this world, which, in which change or motion to any kind was a foreigner. Fires would not burn, smoke would not rise. Those would not open. Liquids were solid. Miller's stubbing toe would could not move a pebble. A blade of grass easily spot his weight without bending. 
In other words, men have begun to understand. Change had been stopped. As surely as its master hand had put a finger on the world's balance wheel, Miller's ramblings were terminated by his consciousness. He had an acute headache. He may have tasted, as Herman used to say, of a big night, as if an army had camped in it. Coffee and Bromo were what, where, were what he needed. But it was a great awakening to him. We found a restaurant and learned he couldn't even drink the coffee or get the lid off the Bromo bottle. Fragment coffee stream hang over the glass protector. But even as his steam was a brick wall to his probing touch, Miller started gloomily to tread his way for the waiters. In back in the back of the counter again. Moments later he stood in the street and there were tears streaming in his eyes. Helen his voice would plead in a whisper. Helen, honey, where are you? No answer, but a pitiful permutation of utter silence. Then there was movement on da- at Dave Miller's right. Something shot from behind the parked jaws, cars, crest against him, something brown, hairy, and soft. He knocked him down. Before he could get his breath, a red, wet tongue was licking his face and hands. He's looking up in the face of a police dog, finding with joy at seeing another in his city of death. The dog would scarcely let London rise. He stood up a plant, big paws on his shoulders, trying to lick his face. Lola laughed out loud, a laugh, fairly clutching it. Where you come from, boy? he asked. Won't they talk to you either? What's your name, boy? There's a heavy, brass studded collar. And then it was an act. And then they made a read it on his nameplate. Major. Well, Major, at least we've got company now. It was made a sigh of relief. <sighs> For a long time, he too busy the dog to bother about the subbing noises. Apparently, the dog were hurled to hear them. But he gave no sign. Miller scratched him behind the ear. What should we do now, Major? Walk? Maybe a nose can smell out another friend for us. It had gone hardly two blocks when it came to him. There was a, a, a more useful way of spending the time. A library, hard convinced the whole trouble seen at them with suicide shot in the head, which was completely absent now. He decided the perusal of surgery box in the public library might yield something he could use. They then bent their steps. He was soon mounting the broad cement stairs at the building. As he went beneath the brass turnstile, Larry and Court Spinner's attention was running glance. He smiled back. I tried to find something on brain surgery. His lame eye was shot then. He realised he'd been talking to himself. In the next instant, in the next instant the even world, a voice from the bookcases travelled. If you find anything, I wish you'd let me know. I'm stuck myself. Corner room came an elderly bald, bald man with tangled grey brows, rueful smile. Mental balanced over his ear, a notebook clutched in his hand. You too, he said. I, just, I had hoped I was the only one. Miller went forward, hurried to grip his hand. I'm afraid I'm not so unselfish, he admitted. I've been hoping for two hours and run into some other poor soul. Quite understandable, the stranger murmured sympathetically. In my case, it's different, you see. I'm responsible for this whole tragic business. You didn't mean have gulped in a word, I thought. Marion wagged his hand, staring at her notepad. With little 
jumbled calculations. Miller had a chance to stun him. He was tall, heavily built, wide, stuck, stody, shoulders, despite his sixty years, oddly. He wore a grey, green smock. His eyes were narrowed, intent, looked grimmit, sharp beneath those toothbrush brows of his. He was stared at the pad. There's the trouble right there, he muttered. I've probably had only three stages of implication, whereas four would have been barely enough. No matter, wonder the phase didn't carry through. I guess I don't follow you, Miller faltered. You mean something you did? I should think it was something I did. Bully stranger snatched his, scratched his head and tipped his pencil. I'm Jerrickson. You know the Wallmaker Institution? Well, Muller said, ah, it's an understanding voice. Erickson was head of Wonomanka. Institute, first authority of them, all when it came to exploding atoms and braiding trails in the wilderness of science. Erickson peeped in eyes, a sunny boring to the young man. You've been sick, haven't you? He demanded. Well, no, not really sick. I'm druggish coloured. I have to admit to being drunk a few times hours ago, though. Drunk? Erickson shook, struck his tail and turned to his cheek. Took his hand, squalled. No, that would hardly do it. There must have been something else. The impulsor isn't that powerful. I can understand about the dog, poor fellow. He might have been run over. I caught him just an instant of passing from life to death. Old Dave Miller lifted his head, knowing how that now that Erickson was driving at. Well, I might as well be frank. I committed suicide. That's how a drunkard was. It wouldn't have been a suicide in the Miller family in centuries. It took a skinful liquor to set the president. Erickson nodded wisely. Perhaps we will find a president. President had really been set. And well, no matter, he lifted his hand, stopped, Miller eager, wondering a separation. A point is, young man, we are free in a very tough spot. It's up to the rest of us to get out of it. Oh, and not only we, but heaven knows how many others were well over. Would you maybe can explain to my mind, mind what happened, Miller suggested. Of course, forgive me. You see, Mr. Miller, Dave Miller. David, it is a feeling we're going to be pretty well located for this over. See, David, I'm a nut or so on so-called time phrase. I've seen time compared to anything from an identity, a long pink worm. I disagree with them all because they postulate the idea that the time is constantly being manufactured. Each reasoning is fantastical, fantastic. Time is this, but not as an ever-growing chain of links. It, because such a, a chain would have to have a tail end if it, if it had a front end, one could imagine like period when time did not exist. So I think time is like a circular train track unending who find and die, we travel around on it. The future exists simultaneously with the past. One instance they met, well, from the one instance they met, Miller's brain was murmuring. Eric had shot the words for him, Starococo fashion. As if there were things known from great Pinna days, a young druggist scratched his head. You got me licked, he admitted. I'm a stranger here myself. Naturally, you don't. Can't be expected to understand things I've seen all my life puzzling about. Simply way, simply way I can explain it that we're on a train following this immense circular railway. When a train reaches the point where it started, it's about to plunge in the past. But it's as 
impossible because the point where it started is simply the cobrose of the vein. A point is always ahead and behind the time train. Now, my idea was that with the proper stimulus, a man could be thrust first across the diameter circle of railway to the point of his past because of the nature of time. He could either go ahead of the train and meet the future, but nor could he stand still and let the caboose catch up with him. But he could detour across the circle and land but further back on the train. And that, my dear boy, is what you and I and Major have done almost. Almost, David? Miller said, Miller said hoarsely. Erickson pursed his lips. We're going nowhere apart. We are somewhere partly because space, being present and past, we are living in an instant. We move neither forward nor back. You and I, Dave, and Major, and the Lord knows how many others the world over have been fresh with my time repulsor. It's a timeless beach of eternity. We're caught in time backwash. Castaways, you might say. Objection clamoured for attention in Miller's mind. But if this is so, where is the rest of them? Where is my wife? Right here, Erickson explained. No doubt you you could see your wife if you could find her. But you see, they're moustaches because of us. Time no longer exists. There is something I did not count on. I did not know it would be possible to live in one in, in small instant of time as we're doing. Do not know that only those hovering between life and death can deviate, deviate from the normal process of time. You mean we're dead? Willard's voice was a bitter monotone. Obviously not. We're talking and moving, aren't we? But we are an offence. I gave my impulse to the jolt of high power. It went wrong. I think something must have happened to me. At the same time, instant, they had shot you, shot yourself. Catch Dave, you dying. Any way of us to find out to try to get the machine working, trouble ourselves one day or one way or another. We fall back, or we will live. We will. We will all live. We fall present. We may die. Either way, it's better than this. Miller said fervently. I take came to the fire here. I've been to find one of the things I must know. My own books are locked in my study, and these they might be cemented in these places. All they're used to me. I suppose we might as well go back to the lab. Miller nodded murmuringly. Maybe you'll get an idea when you look at the machine again. Let's hope so, said Erickson grimly. God knows I've failed so far. It's an hour's so solid I walk with West Wiltshire. With the laboratory was immense bronze glass doors of Wanamaker Institution. A closed and side barred to the two men, but Erickson led the way down the side. You can't get in the service door. We're climbing for the transoms and ventilators until we get to the la- my lab. Major Frist along beside them. You join the action of companionship. That's an adventure to Miller. Your new death might be ahead of for, three of, for all the three of them. Two of them were moving a heavy cabinet, the side service door, getting them in. He climbed up back 
of the rear workmen, walked across the cabinet and scaled across the, down the front of their leading man, ran up the stairs to the 15th floor. They were called for a transom into Mark Wing Mart's experimental entry, and only by his appointment, made us help through it. Yes, there they were, crawling along the dark metal tunnel, and opened an air conditioning vent Small and took some wiggling. Next room they were confronted by stone receptionist. It was a desk with a little brass sign reading, Have you an appointment? Miller had his share of experience with receptionist ways, the days of a chemical salesman. He took the greatest pleasure now in lighting his cigarette from a match struck on the girl's nose. Blow the smoke in her face, a call hasted to call through the final ransom. John Erickson's laboratory is well lit by a glass brick wall and high skylight. The sun's rays glinted on time and pulsar. The scientists explained the pulsar in precise terms. We finished day, Milan just knew just a little as before. The abbot still resembled three transmitters in line, a type seen on the power cable. Power poles connected to a great bronze globe hanging from the ceiling. There's a monster puts, that puts up this plate. Eric has gone grunted. Too strong to be legal, too weak to do the job right. Take a good look, look. His hands jammed in his pockets. He frowned at the complex machinery. Miller stared a few minutes and transferred his interest to the other things in the room. He struck by the resemblance of a transformer. The far corner of the ones linked other trends in Pulsar. What's that? He said, uh, said quickly. Looks the same as the ones you used over there. It is. But didn't you say you needed, you needed, was it, all you needed was another stage of power? That's right. Maybe in crazy minutes, stared from, stared from the impulsor to the French woman back. Yeah, why didn't you use it then? Use what? The, the connection? Erica's eyes gently mocked him. Why, of course. The gentleman side just jerked to the thumb. A small blade of, Bell of copper wire. Bring it over and we'll try it. We was halfway to it to when he brought, brought up brought up short. The shivered screen spread over his features. I get each other the bell a wire. Might be the Empire State Building, as far as we're concerned. Forgive my stupidity. Exodus suddenly became serious. I had to be a submissive Dave, he muttered. In all fairness to you, you might I must tell you, I see no way out of this. Machinery's, of course, are still working. The extra stage of power certainly should be over. And there, aware in this world of movable things, where we find a piece of wire 25 feet long, with a warm, moist sensation of almost against John Miller's hand when he looked down, Major stared up at him commiseratingly. He scratched him behind the ear. And the dog closed his eyes, assured and happy. The old druggist sighed, wishing with some giant hand to snatch, scratch him behind the ear and smooth his troubled way over. Have we done going out? He said soberly. We starve, I suppose. No, I don't think I'll be able that it'd be quick. That quick. I don't feel any hunger. I don't expect to. Oh, after all, my body was still alive in one instance of time. A man won't wake up healthy appetite for one second. Of course, this elastic second business precludes the possibility of disease. 
Our bodies must go on and change. The only hope is I see is when we are on the verge of man's suicide. I mean, he's jumping off a bridge, I suppose. Poison, guns, knives, all the usual withdrawal are denied to us. Black despair closed down on Dave Miller. He thrust it back, forcing a crooked grin. Let's make a bargain, he offered. When we finish fooling around with this apparatus, we split up. We'll be each other's throat if we stick together. I'll be blaming you for my plate. I don't want to. My fault, of course. It's my fault as much as yours. How about it? John Erickson gripped his hand. You're all right, Dave. Let me give you some advice. If you ever have to get back to the present, keep away from liquor. Liquor and the Irish never did mix. You have that store on his feet again in no time. Miller thanks, look fervorously. I think I can promise, and I think less than a whiskey antidote for a snake bite will ever make me bend an elbow again. Like a couple of hours, despondency reigned in the laboratory. But it's soon to be deposited again for, by hope. The way all Americans started to trailing is Dave Miller himself grasped the down to earth idea and started him hoping again. He was walking about a lab. Jingling keys in his pocket, when suddenly he stopped short, he jerked the key of the rings in his hand. Alison Gross, you've been blind, look at this, the scientist looked. We remained puzzled. Well, he said skeptically. Yeah, skeptically, look, there's our wire, Dave exclaimed. We've got keys, I've got keys. You've got coins, knives, wristwatches. Why can't we lay them all at one end to the end? Alison Features looked at it as if you'd been, been straight literally shot you're hit you hit it he cried if he had enough good enough well, on the call they began emptying their pockets tearing off right which watches searching for pencils the fires made a little heap in the middle of the floor Erickson let his long fingers crawl through rimming hair god give us enough we only need one wire the thing is plugged in already and i only need a potted pole has and only a pussy pole has to be connected to the globe. Come on. Snooping up the assortment of med- metal articles. They rushed across the room, but with his penknife, Dave Miller began breaking up the metal which watch straps, opening the links out so they would be laid end to end to the greatest possible length. They patiently broke the watches to pieces. The junk they covered made of ragged, Foot and a half wire, the coins stretched the line still further. Then they lay two feet covered with stuff was half used up. The metal pencils taken away gave them a good two feet. Key chains helped generously. With eighteen feet covered, their progress began to slow down. Perspiration poured down Miller's face. Desperately, he tore his lodge ring and cut it in two and pound and to pound in flat, a flat of garters and suspenders. It won a few inches more. Then they stopped. Feet, fate from their goal. Miller groaned. He tossed his pocket knife in his, in his hand. And we got to get a foot of this, he estimated. But it still leaves us way short. Bradley Erickson snapped his fingers. Shoes, he growls. They're full of nails. Come to me with that knife, Dave. We'll cut out them out, every one of them out. And then in ten minutes, the shoes reduced the ragged poles of tutted leather. 
Degerson's deft fingers painlessly placed the nails in one by one in the line. The distance left to cover was less than six inches. He lined up the few, last few nails, the, and both men sinking back in their heels. They saw there was no gap. They saw there was a gap of three inches to cover. Both beaten notes and grounded out by three inches. Three inches from the present. Yet it might as well be three million, million miles better his body. Felt as though he hit with the vase. His muscles ached and strained, so taunt with his nerves. He leaped as though stung when Major nozzled. A cold nose his hand again. Automatically began to stroke the boat back. Well, that licks us, he muttered. There ain't another piece of movable metal in, this, in the world. Major kept whimpering and pushing against him. Annoyed and druggish, shoved him away. Go away, he muttered. I don't feel like that. Suddenly his eyes widened as he touched and counted metal, all metal he all wailed. There he is, he yelled. The last link, the name plate and Major's collar. A flash, he tore the little wet of brass plate with dog collar. Erickson took it from his grass. Sweat stood shining his skin. He held a bit of metal over the gap between the two wire and pole. That is it, this is it, he smiled bitterly. Brittlely. There we run away, Dave. Where? I don't know. To death or to back to life. But we're going. The red all clipped up into place. Live, wiring, withering wire leaped for the, uh, through live. The metal clipped into place. Live, withering power leaped for the wire, snarling across the metal partial brakes. Dreadful began to hum. Humming grew louder, softly singing. Seeing softly, the brows gold, their hands but grew to green. The Miller felt a caress of snapped his brain. An Harrison major and laboratory faded from his senses. They came an interval, with the only sound of the soft sobbing. He had been hearing as if in a dream. Then the blackness enfolded him, the soft velvet. The Miller was opening his eyes to see familiar walls, his own kitchen around him. Somebody cried out, Dave, oh Dave, don't dear. It's Helen's voice. It was Helen who cradled his own head in her lap and bent her, her face close to his. Oh, thank God you're alive. Helen murmured. What were you doing here? I couldn't go through with it. I couldn't leave you. I came back and I heard the shot and ran in. Doctor could, could, should be here. I called him five minutes ago. Five minutes? How long have I been since I shot myself? Oh, just six or seven minutes. I called doctor right away. Miller took a deep breath. It might, that, it, then it must have been a dream. All that to happen in a few minutes. It wasn't possible. How could I have botched the job, he muttered. I wasn't drunk enough to miss myself completely. Helen looked at the huge revolver, lying in the sink. Oh, the old 45 of Grandpa's. Reloaded since the Civil War. Guess the powder it got damp or something. It just sort of spluttered inside of exploding properly. Instead of exploding properly. Then you promised me something. You won't ever do anything like this again. If you promise not, I promise not to nag you. Dave Miller closed his eyes. There wouldn't be no need, any need to nag Helen. Some people take a lot of teaching. I had my lesson. You've got ideas about the store. I've been too lazy to walk, walk, try out. You know, I feel more like fighting right now than I've had for years. We're licking, won't we, honey? Helen buried her face in the hollow of his shoulder, and quite softly, her words were too muffled to be intelligible. But David understood. She might, she, that, what she meant.
He thought the whole thing was a dream, Jerry Nelson, Time Impulsor, a major. But that night, he read an item in the evening courier. It was a him thinking for many days. Police of the death of scientists here in the laboratory. John M. Erickson, director of Wanamaker Institution, did his work last night. Erickson is a beloved and valuable figure in the world of science. Famous his recently published Time Lapse Theory. Two strange circumstances surrounded his death. One was the presence of a German shepherd dog in the laboratory. His head crushed as if it were a sledgehammer. There was a ch- chain of small metal objects stretching one corner of the room or the other. It tended to make the place of wire, a uh, wire, the circuit. Please have a discount, this is the idea. It was a roll of wire only a few feet from the body. The end.